Well, I want to whet your appetite for next Sunday. Uh, well, you're not going to have to look at all these old, ugly people that are up here every Sunday. Uh, next Sunday, we're having uh, our culmination of our VBS. Uh, we've had VBS every Sunday uh, for the summer. And so next Sunday, we will be having our celebration uh, service where we'll have all of the kids in here. Uh, and they will be uh, singing and they will be uh, they'll be passing the offering plates. They'll be doing all of the different aspects of the service. Uh, uh, we might even let one of them preach. Uh, but uh, just wanted to encourage you to be here for that. That's going to be, I know that they've been looking forward to that over the last, uh, over the last several months uh, as they have been singing. They've been playing games and doing activities, and they've been studying uh, uh, God's Word. And so we want, to, we want to be able to celebrate with them. So that'll be next Sunday, so you'll want to be here for that. That'll be encouraging. Uh, and hopefully this side will be back from vacation uh, next Sunday. Uh, so we'll look forward to that. Uh, <clears throat> you have your Bibles this morning. Open up to Daniel chapter 1. We began last week looking at Daniel. Looking at the book of Daniel. We're going to begin. We'll take several, uh, several months to walk through the book of Daniel. Uh, and I got finished preaching last Sunday, and I realized I didn't say half of what I wanted to say. So we're going to be in Daniel chapter 1 again uh, this Sunday. Daniel chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 21 this morning. <clears throat> in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring some of the, some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom there was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning, and discerning knowledge and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered them to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them daily rations from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank, and appointed that they should be educated for three years, at the end of which they were to enter into the king's personal service. Now among them, from the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. To Daniel, he assigned the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, to Azariah Abednego. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king, who has appointed your food and your drink. For why he should see in your faces look more haggard than the other youths who are your own age, then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please, test your servants for ten days, and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. And let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of youths who are eating in the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. 
So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, their appearance seemed better and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine which they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. As for these youths, these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. And at the end of days for which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them. And out of all of them, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all of the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. Let's pray. <clears throat> Fathers, we hear your word this morning. Lord, may we be encouraged at your grace and your favor in the midst of, of difficult times, in the midst of hardships and trials. May we see your sovereign hand. Lord, may you speak to us this morning. May you encourage us. May you encourage us to to be men and women of faith, men and women of resolve. May you convict us of of our failures, convict us of sin, that we may see our need for a Savior. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We ask that you would bring your word alive to us this morning. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray, amen. Last week we looked at the Babylonian captivity and the Babylonian exile, and and we saw that in the midst of hardship, in the midst of trial, in the midst that all that Israel was going through, that God was still God in Babylon. That it did not matter that Nebuchadnezzar was the king. It did not matter that Israel was was suffering under oppression and suffering under the judgment of God. That God was still God in Babylon. And if we remember the story, if we remember the story of Israel, and as Israel suffers in the wilderness, they are suffering under judgment of God. They are suffering, they are wandering in the wilderness for 40 years because God is faithful to his word. And he told he told the, the spies as they came out, he said, you will, you will spend a year in the wilderness for every day that you were in the, uh, in the promised land. And you came back because you did not believe my promises, because you, you were not obedient. And so Israel suffered for 40 years. And in the midst of their suffering, they experienced blessings of God. They experienced the fire by day, the cloud, uh, fire by night and the cloud by day. They experienced manna. Their clothes didn't wear out. God even gave them quail whenever they got tired of biscuits. It was, it was his providence and it was his grace in the midst of judgment, in the midst of trial, in the midst of hardship. And this is where we see Israel in the midst of exile, in the midst of judgment. And they're suffering exile because of their idolatry, because of their immorality, because they, they continued to play the harlot. God said, I will give you over to your enemies. And this is where Israel is in the book of Daniel. God has given them over to the Babylonian king. It says in the very first verse, God gave Jehoiakim to Nebuchadnezzar. He gave Israel over to them. Yet we see that God is still God in Babylon. I want us to notice the plan of the Babylonians. Go to Daniel chapter 1. Let's look at verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. 
<clears throat> at the end of chapter 4, I'm sorry, at the end of verse 4, it says, we see the plan of the Babylonians. He said, take all of these youth, take all of these, and, and I don't want just any teenagers, I don't want just any youth, I want the best looking ones, I want the most intelligent, I want the most well-spoken, I want the best of the best. Take, go into all of Judah and round up for me the, the tallest, the sharpest looking, the, the, the most handsome, the, most, the, the strongest, the, the most well-read, the most intellectual. Bring me the best that Judah has to offer. And what we're going to do, we're going to completely and totally indoctrinate them into the ways of the Babylonians. Look at verse 5, verse 4. We're going to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. We're going to appoint for them daily rations from the king's choice food and from wine which he drank. And that they should be educated for three years at the end of which they were to enter into the king's personal service. And then he changed their name. There was a complete submersion into the entire culture of the Babylonians. Babylonians were a very, very progressive culture. In fact, uh, much, of the, much of the mathematics and the science that we, uh, that we know today, we can trace its roots back to the Babylonians. They're, they, they were an, an unbelievably intelligent civilization. And the king said, Nebuchadnezzar said, we are going to completely indoctrinate the Israelites into the, not only the intellectual aspect, Every aspect of the Babylonians, we're going to indoctrinate them with literature and culture. We're going to have them read our plays, our poetry, learn our music, read our short stories, read our fiction, read our myths and our legends. We're going to have them listen to our music. We're going to have them learn to play our music. This was a complete and total indoctrination. And not only that, we're going to give them the best food and the best drink we're going to give them every luxury that babylon has to offer we're not only going to that going to to bestow upon them every every food and every luxury and every enjoyment that the babylonians have to offer but we're going to change their very name we're going to change their identity what i like in this too <clears throat> is a giant recruiting trip my son is 10 years old, and you'll have to excuse me this morning as I hack and cough. I've got, trying to fight something. My 10-year-old is a sports junkie. He wakes up in the morning. Uh, first, thing he, first thing he does, he doesn't turn on cartoons. He doesn't turn on Disney Channel. He turns on ESPN. And when his brothers and sister wake up and they gripe and complain that he's watching ESPN, he leaves the, the television and goes and gets on ESPN.com on the computer or LSU Sports. He's just, he's nuts. And, and he, will, he will come to me and he will say, Dad, have you, have you heard about this, th th this new recruit that LSU's bringing in or, 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 or this guy that's now playing in the minors that used to play for LSU? And I look at him like, no, I don't care. <laughs> but, but he's completely enamored with with. with LSU and with sports and with football and baseball and now that now that football season's right around the corner he's he's already talking about his fantasy football team and this and that and and he's he's crazy but but every year he follows these recruits 
And what does a college do, regardless of whether you're LSU or you're Alabama or you're Ole Miss or you're Tennessee, what do you do when, you, when these, these new recruits come in? You take them to the best restaurants, you feed them the best food, you get the prettiest girl on campus to show them around, you let them sit down and talk with the star athletes on the team, you, you, you show them and you, you name drop and, and you may even get pros that, that, that come in that have, that have been at your school, alumni to come in that are in the professional ranks and you show them around and you, you just you lay out the red carpet and you completely submerge them into the culture of the campus and the, the university. This is what Babylon did to the nth degree. This wasn't a, an official visit that they were bringing in Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah on. They submerged them into the Babylonian culture for three solid years. They said, you, you can't read any more of your Hebrew texts. You can't listen to any more of your Jewish psalms. You can't spend any more time with your God. You must be completely submersed into the Babylonian culture. Well, I want to encourage us, church, there's nothing new under the sun. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 9 said this, this, says that there's nothing new under the sun. The same technique and the same ploys that the enemy used in Daniel's day is the same techniques and the same ploys that he uses today. The enemy desires to completely indoctrinate Christians by completely submersing us into the culture of this world. You see it coming, you see it going. You get in your car, you turn on the radio, and what do you hear? You hear the world. Whether it's talk radio, whether it's you know, music, whatever we're bombarded with, you, you, you flip open the newspaper. And there are ads and there are, there are political uh, 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 stories. It, it's, it's, it's coming at us from every direction. It doesn't matter whether you watch conservative news or whether you watch liberal news. It, it, it's coming at you from all directions. You turn on the television and, and this culture and this world is completely inundating you. The Babylonians... Not only did they submerse them into the culture of the Babylonians, but they changed their name. Daniel's name means God is my judge. In the, in the Old Testament, names actually meant something. Husbands and wives didn't sit around uh, uh, and have a name book that they went through and said, what do you think we ought to name you know, the, the, the next baby that's coming along? I like Johnny. Well, no, I like I like. I like you know, Philip, oh, that's, that's, that, I, I had a kid that I knew growing up, and his name was Philip. Well, we can't name him Philip. That kid was bad. And, and that's not how parents named their children back in the biblical days. They named their children based upon the character that they desired for them to have. The name Daniel means God is my judge. The name Hananiah means Yahweh has been gracious to me. The name Mishael means what God is. The name Azariah means Yahweh has helped me. These names were, were, were names of great character, names of great strength. And the Babylonians said it's not enough to change 
It's not enough to submerse them into the culture, but we must change their essential identity. And so they changed their names. And from Daniel, Daniel went from God is my judge to Belteshazzar, which means one whom Bel, the God of the Babylonians, one whom Bel favors. All of a sudden, God was not the judge of Daniel, but now Daniel was one favored by the God of the Babylonians. Hananiah went from Yahweh has been gracious to me to Shadrach, which means I am fearful of God. Mishael went from what God is to Meshach, which means I am despised of God, the Babylonian God. And Azariah, which means Yahweh has helped me, has gone from Yahweh has helped me to Abednego, which means the servant of Nebo, another Babylonian god. They changed their very essential identity. And as they're doing this, as they're doing this, Daniel understands what's going on. Daniel is given the wisdom and insight from God to be able to see the plot, to be able to see the ploy of the Babylonians. And so we get to probably my very favorite passage in all of Daniel, verse 8. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank, so he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now, there's been many theories as to why Daniel chose not to defile himself with the food from the king's table. Many people say, well, that, that, that it was very possibly against dietary restrictions. There may have been bacon and pork chops and, and, and all kind of stuff that, that were considered unclean by the Jews. But that doesn't answer the question about the wine. You know, wine was, was, you know, wasn't unclean. It wasn't uh, unkosher. And so Daniel could have very easily drank the wine. And so they said, well, maybe, maybe the, the, the food was sacrificed to idols. And Daniel knew that this food would have been sacrificed to idols. And so he refused the food uh, that would be given to him by the king's, uh, by, by the king's table, the, the food from the king's table. But that doesn't answer the question that, that the meat sacrificed to idols could have been sacrificed uh, or, or pledged or, or uh, given to idols just as the vegetables that they would have sat before him as well. And so why would Daniel be willing to, to, to give himself uh, these or to, uh, to receive the vegetables from the king and not the, not the meat? And then some say, well, it, it, it proves dependence upon the king. And Daniel didn't want to be dependent upon the king. And we still have the problem. He's getting vegetables and water and everything from the king as well. And so there have been many theories as to why Daniel said, I will not defile myself with the king's choice foods. And all of them have, have an, air, an element of legitimacy. And, and they make a very good point and could very well be plausible. But I believe that more than it was about dietary restrictions, more than it was about meat sacrifice to idols, more than it was about dependence upon the king, Daniel understood they are completely submersing us into the culture of the Babylonians. I've got to hold on to something. I've got to resist. I've got to draw a line in the sand and say, you may, you may send me to the Babylonian school, you may teach me about Babylonian astrology, you may teach me Babylonian literature you may you may force me to to learn the babylonian songs but you can't force me to eat what i don't want to eat and i'm going to draw a line in the sand and i'm going to trust that god's favor will rest upon me 
Here we see Daniel making a commitment. He made up his mind. And he made a commitment in the seemingly small things. But you know, if we are committed in the small things, it's going to be much more easy to stand in the midst of the difficult times. If we will make a commitment today, as Daniel did, to say, I will not eat from the king's table, then when the time comes for us to say, I will not bow down before your God, O king. If we will make a commitment in the small things, if we will commit today to spend time in God's word on a regular basis, to spend time on our knees being intimate with our Heavenly Father, if we will commit to the small things in life, then when the time comes, when we are in the midst of the lion's den, when we are standing before a king and a fiery furnace, then it will be much more, it will be much easier to take a stand for God in those days. We cannot wait until we are standing in the midst of the lion's den to say, today I'm going to make a commitment. We have to begin today with the small things. Luke chapter 16 reminds us of this. Luke chapter 16, verse 10. Jesus, in the parable, in the parable of the unrighteous steward, Jesus says this, He who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. He who is unrighteous in little is unrighteous in much. We must begin, church, by being faithful with the little things. I can't tell you how many times people... Church members have come to me and said, you know, I, I want to serve in this capacity or I feel God leading me to, 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 to work with the kids or work with the children or, or you know, to, to serve on the praise team. And my next response is always, why don't you begin serving in a very small capacity so that, we can, so that we can gauge the faithfulness of which you're committed to the Lord. If we're faithful in the little things, God will give us an opportunity to be faithful in things that are much bigger. Now, I want to point out that in the midst of this, Daniel chapter 1, verse 9, we see this statement again. We see it three times. Daniel chapter 1, verse 2, God gave Jehoiakim into the hand of the uh, Nebuchadnezzar, verse 9. God granted or God gave Daniel favor in compassion to the sight of the commander of the Lord's uh, commander of the officials, verse 9. And then verse 17, God gave them knowledge and intelligence. God is still God. He is still sovereign. Not only do we see God's favor and God's sovereignty in the midst of trial, but we see God's sovereignty and blessing quietly and subtly. Verse 17, if you're not reading this from a Christocentric perspective, you missed it. Verse 9 says that God granted them favor. God granted them favor in the sight of the officials. And he said, okay, we'll test you for 10 days. If you're not reading this from a Christocentric perspective, you miss this. God is sovereign, and oftentimes his blessings show up quietly and subtly. God doesn't always shut the mouths of the lions. Sometimes he uses mundane ways to demonstrate his glory. 
God doesn't always act with fire coming down out of heaven, consuming the altar. God doesn't always act with a great transfiguration, a great resurrection. Sometimes God acts in very mundane ways to demonstrate his glory. It says in verse 9 that God gave him favor in the sight of the officials. And that's it. That's all it says. Sometimes God acts through mundane ways to demonstrate his glory. I think it's ironic that after this 10-day waiting period, and, and <clears throat> there's been much that's been made of the Daniel diet, and many of you have even participated in the Daniel diet. Well, let me throw a monkey wrench into your uh, Daniel diet. Uh, verse, uh, verse 12, it says, Please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. The word vegetable literally in the, in, the, in the Hebrew language literally means that which comes from which is planted. So it also meant vegetables, it also meant fruit, it also meant grain, wheat, barley, bread. Well, you can't have bread on the Daniel diet. That, that's carbohydrates, and we all know that carbohydrates are the enemy, right? No, what, what this passage is saying is that, is that I don't want the luxury of the king's table, I want that which God provides for me. I want to rest and I want to trust my sustenance to that which God provides for me. Let me eat the vegetables. Let me eat the water. Let me, let me survive on what God desires to provide for me. And isn't it ironic that Daniel, that Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, after three years of eating nothing but water, fruits and vegetables, and bread, are fatter, more intelligent than all of the rest. And it is not because of their diet, church. It is because of the favor of God that's rest upon them. The scripture says in verse 2 that God gave Jehoiakim into the hands of the Babylonians. And three years later, exiled servants are serving in the king's courts. Sometimes God allows hardships with his people in order to reach so that his mercy can reach beyond his people. Go with me, if you will, to 2 Kings chapter 5. This is often a passage that we read and we blow right past it. 2 Kings chapter 5. We know the story of King Naaman. I'm sorry, General Naaman, as he shows up full of leprosy. And he's told by Elisha to go wash himself in the Jordan River and he'll be made clean. <clears throat> he's angry. His servant then says, if he had told you to do this great and mighty thing, would you not have done it? He simply told you to do something simple. Go take a bath and, and you won't be obedient. And so Naaman does. He goes and washes himself in the Jordan and he's made clean. And he has this great statement of faith that there is a God in Israel and he is the God of Elijah. Look at chapter 5, 2 Kings, 2 Kings, Preston, not 1 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Now Naaman, the captain of the army of the king of Aram, 
great man with his master and highly respected because of him, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was also a valiant warrior, but he was a leper. Look at verse 2. Now the Armenians had gone out in bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, I wish that my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. We don't often think about verse 2. As the Arameans gone into Israel and captured this little girl. Imagine for just a moment if you are the mom or you are the daughter or you are the dad and there is this child that has been that has been ripped from her home and has now become a servant in the general's house. Imagine the grief and the horror and the pain that 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 befalls both this child and her family. And now she is serving at, at, at the hands of this, this pagan general. And she is being submersed into the lives of this pagan general. But something about this child is peculiar. She has faith in a God that is different than Naaman's God. The God of Israel. And her character and her integrity and her faith is demonstrated in how she lives and how she serves. And even in the midst of her great grief and even in the midst of, of her great loss and her mourning, and I imagine that there were many nights when that little girl cried herself to sleep and many mornings whenever she woke up missing mom and dad, brothers and sisters. Yet God allowed her to undergo tremendous hardships, tremendous pains, so that His mercy and His grace could reach beyond Israel, could reach beyond her and her family. Sometimes God allows us to endure hardships because He wants His mercy to reach beyond us. God's grace and God's glory is bigger than us. It is bigger than you. It is bigger than your family. It is bigger than your loved ones. God's grace and God's mercy is so far-reaching that He oftentimes allows us to undergo hardships so that His grace and His mercy may reach beyond us. Here, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, plucked out of their families, removed from their comfort zone, removed from their household, removed from everything they know, completely submerged in the Babylonian culture, taught their, 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 their language, their 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 culture, their music, their everything. So that God could later use Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah for his glory. Notice verse 21. Daniel chapter 1, verse 21. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. What the author does here is he spends 20 verses telling us what happened in narrative form, what happened to, to these, these children, these young people in Judah that were, that were as it was exiled, and, and how they got to be in the place that they were. And then he fast forwards 60 years and says, oh yeah, and by the way, 
Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. Now Cyrus the king is the king not of Babylon but of Persia. Do you see what the author just told us? He said that the Babylonians were conquered. They were defeated. But who remained? Daniel. God's servant. God's children remained. What the author tells us is though there is Babylonian rule, though you are suffering in exile, though things are are tragic and horrific and the circumstances you're in now are, are seemingly unbearable, there is a God in Babylon. And when Cyrus becomes king and Persia takes over, there is a God in Persia. And he is the God of Israel. Daniel outlasted Babylon. Why was it because Daniel was this, this great young man of, of, great, of great resolve and great perseverance? No, because God had favor upon him. That's how Daniel outlasted the king of Babylon. That's how Daniel was remained until, the, until Persia took over. This tells us that kings and kingdoms will rise and fall, yet God is unchanging. His grace is unfailing. His mercies are new every day. That there is nothing that exists outside of his control, outside of his, his grace. And so church, you're here this morning, and many of you are in Babylon. Life is is is. You, you find yourself, you, you look around and you find yourself, your mind is swimming, you find yourself surrounded by the things of this world. The world seems to be, your world seems to be crumbling down around you and, and, and you look up and all you see are Babylonian kings and Babylonian rulers and Babylonian representatives. Let me encourage you. Verse 21, Daniel continued till the first year of King Cyrus. Babylon's going to come, Babylon's going to go. Kings are going to rise, kings are going to fall. Kingdoms are going to come, kingdoms are going to go. But the God of Israel will remain forever. A couple things I want us to remember as we close. This world is not my home. 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter reminds his church. paint the picture for you very, very quickly. As we read 1 Peter, Nero is the king of Rome, the uh, Caesar. He's in charge. He's the emperor. He is burning Christians at the stake. He is feeding them to wild animals. He is putting them in the midst of the Colosseum uh, and, and allowing them to, to go to do battle against wild animals for sport. Christian church is for the very first time undergoing immense persecution only, only 15, 20 years after Christ. And this is what Peter encourages his church as they are dispersed amongst the Roman Empire, experiencing persecution on top of persecution. He says this, you're chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, 
I urge you, I beg you, as aliens and strangers in this world, as strangers to abstain from the fleshly lust, which weighs war against your souls. Paul, I'm sorry, Peter reminds his church, this is not your home. We are aliens. We are strangers in this place. That this is not our home. Don't be sucked in to the culture of this world. Don't be sucked in to the the sinful desires of this world and of this flesh. But be strangers, be different, be set apart. Church, this world is not our home. This world has nothing for us. Let us be resolved, like Daniel, to make commitments today that will keep us for the world that is our home. And secondly, God desires to use you for his glory. Remember that this world is not our home, and God desires to use you for his glory. God has all of the tools, all of the resources at his disposal. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, it says that God desires to use us as ambassadors. He could use angels, he could use miracles, he could use signs and wonders, but that's not what he desires to do. He has appointed the church, he has appointed believers to be his ordained methodology for reaching the lost with the good news of the gospel. Therefore, we are ambassadors. As though Christ were, were, were entreating the world through us, that the world may be reconciled unto God. That's God's desire. His desire is not to use signs and wonders, but to use broken people for his glory. To use people like Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael for his glory. He desires to use you for his glory. Let's pray. God, we thank you that in the midst of hardship, trial, pain, suffering, that there's a God in Babylon. We thank you that, that though things may, may seem to be falling apart today, we can trust that when Babylon falls, you will still be God. And on the other side of the sorrow, that there will be peace. Though the rain may last for today, joy comes in the morning. We thank you that this world is not our home. Lord, may we grow more affectionate to the world that is to come, that we may distance ourselves from this world. Lord, may you make us homesick for a world we've never seen. Oh, and God, that you may use us, that you may use me for your glory, for your kingdom. Not because there's anything worthy in me, but because Christ is in me. This morning, if you desire for God to use you, your workplace, your home, your family. May you make a commitment today in the small things. Spend time 
in your word. To spend time on your knees serving. That God may use you when you find yourself in the midst of the line. Father, if there are those here who've never trusted Jesus, may today, may they find themselves in need of a Savior. May they cry out. Your word tells us that all those who come to Christ, He will no wise cast them out. Lord, may you speak to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.